Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Husband, 
Now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. I want to tell you, this is the last big text as Paul is setting the people of Galatia and us up for an incredible shot into the climax of this incredible book. He's setting us up. And this is his last big argument, his last big moment. He's taking this picture and and chapter, verse 24 says, actually, this is an allegory. I want you to tell you the story and I want you to see the meaning behind it. See, we do that so much with so many other stories in the Bible, but Paul instructs us in this time. He says, read this figuratively. I want you to see what the truth is behind this amazing story. And here's the truth. It comes in, in Galatians chapter 5. It is the climax for me of this whole book. Should it be done in Scottish? Should it? I don't know about you, but to me, Paul is Scottish. He's a fiery dude. He starts fights, riots, or revivals. That's all he does. And he starts, thanks for coming, Emmanuel. It says... Verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. It's true. Tell me that wasn't Scottish. That was written by a Scot. And here's the challenge. We all have default settings. I don't know about you, but when I look at the, the lineage of history of mankind... Man didn't always make the right decisions. Man has a default to smallness. We look at Adam in the garden, default to sin and smallness. We look at, at, the, Egyptian, at, at the Israelites in Egypt, a default. Let's go back to Egypt. We want to go back into slavery. We want to go back into the smallness. Here's the thing. Outside of the presence of God and ongoing fulfilling and being fulfilled by Jesus, a man who struggles with pornography will have a default back there. It's a tragedy. And so the only way we fight that is not by focusing on pornography. We focus on the one who satisfies our everything. Jesus. It's an incredible journey. And that is the greatest freedom we'll ever know. I want to preach about freedom, but I'm telling you, we're so, we, we speak about freedom and all we speak about is what we are free from. I want to tell you what I'm free for. I'm free to worship Him. I'm free to desire Him. I'm free to be captivated by Him. And all the other things that want to take away my freedom pale into insignificance because I'm captivated by an incredible Savior. I'm captivated by Him. I've seen too much. I've been ruined for anything else. I'm captivated by Jesus. And this incredible scripture takes us on a journey. To some people, freedom is speeding at 230 k's an hour. For some people, it's, it's, it's having sex with whoever they want. For some, it's buying cars. For parents like myself, it's 24 hours without kids asking, can I use the iPad? It's that simple. Different for everyone. But actually, freedom is an incredible, incredible thing. And it's not the icing on the cake of Christianity. We, we speak about it sometimes like, one day when I've had dealt with all these things and Jesus has done, I will, no, 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 freedom is in Him. Yeah. It is Christianity. It's the very essence of walking with Christ. And we've got to present it as such and go on the journey where He says, I want that for you. And Paul starts in verse 21. He's speaking to the people of Galatia. He loves them. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, your desire that you are expressing is to be under the law, says, are you not aware of what the law says? Here's our world. I'm not that. And I'm not that. And I'm not that. 
So basically, you're not saying what you are. Paul's saying, you are making a statement that you don't want Jesus, you don't want the covenant of grace and love, you want the covenant of law over your life. And he says, you don't even know what it comes with. Here's what it comes with. You have to dot every I, you have to cross every T, and if you ever mess up, you slip. He says, you don't even know what you were asking for. You can't fulfill it. And he carries on, and he speaks in verse 24. He says, these things will be taken figuratively. In the ESV, it says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. I think I sound very loud. Sorry. Can we turn it down a bit? And um, allegory is, is, a, is an interesting thing. We've got to understand it. If you watch kids' movies like Up, have you watched Up? It's the old guy, the little house, the balloons, the little scout kid, ooh, and the dog. Very simple. That's what Up is. You got it. I've watched about a thousand times. But when you start seeing deeper, you start seeing that actually these stories have nuances. And they, and they, they stem that actually kids can lose parents and old men can lose wives. But in a story of love where adoption takes place, they can go on a journey of healing. And old scars can get healed. And, and people walking with things for many years can go on that journey. And healing can come from the most unlikely sources. Saying, actually, look at this story, and you can watch any of those movies, Cars and Lego Movie, and all they've all got these undercover allegories. Some are political, some are emotional. They're all these incredible journeys. I don't know about you, I, I struggled through Inside Out. Did you watch that movie? I took my three boys, they're like, show me someone shooting someone. They were like, this is very deep, Dad. This is deep emotions, fear. And um, all these things, and it's an incredible journey. And Paul, to make his point, takes a picture of two women with their two sons, with very different futures. And he says, I want you to consider this, and I want you to see Jesus in this story. He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. Who's Abraham? It's the poster boy of the Hebrew faith. He was the guy. They love him. They think a whole bunch of things around him. And actually, early in the book of, of Galatians, they've already presented an argument in and around Abraham. But actually, they don't know the full story. So he comes, and he wants to present some of this truth. He says, one by the slave woman, and one by the free woman. It's an amazing thing. Paul could have chosen many ways to describe those two ladies. He could have, I just thought about it, he could have called the brunette and the blonde. He could have called the one who likes to go to the beach and the one who likes to go to one long walks in the forest. He could have described them in many ways. He just went for the jugular, the slave woman, who was always a slave woman, who was never released from her slavery, and her children were born into slavery. That's how slavery worked. When you were a slave, your kids got born into slavery. It didn't change. And the free woman, free with privileges, free with responsibilities, free with the access to many, many privileges. And he starts there and he goes on a journey and says there are many distinctions between these amazing stories. And then he says, and the, the slave woman's name is Hagar, and the free woman's name is Sarah. See, what had happened is Abraham, many years before, had been given a promise by God. A, a, a barren marriage, a barren woman. They had struggled to form kids. They were very on in years, and they were way past the expecting age. And God said, I want to give you something. I'm giving you a promise that you will have your own children, you, Abraham, and Sarah. And see, 10 years go by, and they're holding on to the promise, and they're holding on to the promise, and they're holding on. And in a moment of faith lacking, in a moment of tiredness, in a moment of insecurity, Sarah goes, there's a promise, Abraham, and I don't want you to miss out on it. So take my handmaiden, Hagar. Take her, have a baby with her. And they have a baby, and that baby's name is Ishmael. 
And there's a story that follows. 29 years later, there's a journey to where Abraham and Sarah have the promised child, the promise of the gospel, the promise that God had spoken to them. And they hold on to that promise. And you get two sons, one named Isaac, who's the promised son, who had come through the line of Sarah, the free woman, who was a child of inheritance, who was a child of the promise that had taken 39 years, and Ishmael, the son of a slave woman, who never walked into any inheritance because he was always a slave. We're going to look at some of this story as God brings some life to it. You're right. Are you with me? Even if you don't know the story, I trust it makes sense to you. But it's a little bit like an old school soap opera. It's who takes their handmaiden and actually gives them to their husband to have a baby with. Well, in those days, it was pretty common, actually. Common practice amongst those that, that era. It wasn't completely uncommon. That there's these two different scenarios. And the Bible says, actually, this lady, Hagar, represents the covenant of works. What does that mean? Well, it means, actually, there was a promise, but man intervened, and man put his hands on the story and said, we want the promise. We're going to get involved to deliver the promise. So Sarah gives Hagar to her husband, and Hagar becomes the promise of the gospel and the promise of works. Sorry, I'm slurring a few words here. And we get there. Thank you, Gabriel. And we get there. And in this promise, is man's hands on the story and represents an incredible story. And it looks a little bit like this. Here is my law, mankind. And we go, yes. If you keep all my law, if you keep the end of your bargain, I, as God, will allow you to live. And on top of that, if you keep every detail, perfectly, holy, fully, and without a single flaw, not only will I allow you to live, I will allow you to enter heaven. But you've got to know this. If you break any single one of them, the deal's off. So the gospel of works looks like. On the other side, he presents another covenant. It's not, I keep saying the gospel of works. The covenant of works. And the covenant of grace. He presents another covenant in the name Sarah. Now Sarah is the one who had, the promise had come to and had waited for all those years and she had got impatient. But through her line, through a supernatural act of God, that man could do nothing about. God takes an older woman who was barren and an old man says, I'm going to breathe life. Woof. And the son Isaac is born. The son of promise that God had spoken. It looks a lot like freedom, a lot like life. And here's the big difference. Covenant of works or covenant of law. Man can do this and live. It's the efforts of man. It's our ability to make this happen. On the other side, the covenant of grace, Jesus, you've done this and man lives. They are completely different. They aren't two sides of the same coin. They are two brothers from two different mothers, but two different stories. And as we go in these stories, a couple of things about the two mothers. And we've got to do a bit of work here. You've got to look at the story and say, well, I'm going to do allegory. I'm going to work with the story and find the meaning. The first one is this. Sarah, who was the new covenant of grace and representative of this, was the original wife of Abraham. Sarah came before Hagar. What does that mean? See, some people live here and pastors love to do it. We come up with this redemption story of earth and God, it all messed up and man messed it up in the garden and man did this and man did this. So God had to make a plan because man had messed up. And I want to tell you that long before law was ever in the story, there was grace. 1 Peter 1 verse 20 says, He was chosen, who? Jesus. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Before the creation of the world, before Adam, before the God breathing his life, there was Jesus. 
And he was chosen to be your savior. He was chosen because grace abounds. It's incredible. I think that's amazing. And this covenant of grace was way before. And God allowed us to fall and we fell into the trap of sin. But what happens is God shines his life and the works purely allow us to see we will. God says, I want to walk on. And there's a promise coming that will be fulfilled in Jesus. And I'm going I'm to ask you in that long story. See, long before Adam stood in the garden, God had ordained his people to eternal life. That they might be saved through Jesus Christ. Long before. The second thing I think we've got to look at the story Understanding that law was just a guardian in that time, as we've already preached. That law was never intended to save men. It was only destined to be a handmaid to the covenant of grace. Does that make sense? So we get this picture. Hagar is given as a handmaid to Abram, but could never deliver the promise. She just couldn't because God wasn't, the promise wasn't made to her. Law was given as a handmaid to grade, to lead grace, to lead us on the story to Jesus. It's an incredible thing. We would never have known sin if the Lord had not revealed it. That's the reality. And God says, actually, I don't want you to take the one who was there to walk by your side, to lead you in a direction, but could never be your saving answer, could never be the salvation story, and make it that. Wait. Like I told Abraham and Sarah, wait. Do not become impatient. Don't take it into your own hands. It's at the center of the story. um, Thirdly to this thing and this story of Hagar and Sarah, Hagar was never a free woman and Sarah was never a slave. So it says, actually, I want you to read this figuratively. I want you to work in this text. Understand this. Hagar, even though she delivered a child and a child was born, and even though they were both healthy, ten fingers, ten toes, all of those stories, both children, this child will always be a slave because his mother was always a slave. And this child will always be free. Understand this. We are dealing with two covenants. One, a covenant of law. The other, a covenant of grace. And Paul is fighting for us to see this and go, wow, Jesus. He's doing a bit of hard work and he's taking us on a journey. The last one is Hagar was cast out as well as her son, but never, Sarah never was. We just got to know these things. I'm going to take us to a story. Hagar was cast out. She had her child, but because it wasn't the promise of God, she was cast out and that child didn't grow up in the presence of their father. Ishmael. But Isaac did. But I want to jump into the two sons, and I think there's life here. See, Isaac is a type of man. Remember Sarah, covenant of grace, and Isaac, her son. Isaac was a type of man who walked by faith and not by sight. And on the other side, Hagar, Ishmael, and a type of man who lives by works and hopes to be saved by our own good efforts. Here's why Paul's teaching this to the church, guys. This, this teaching wasn't to the world. It's not like some preaching out there. Paul was speaking, and he wrote this letter to the church, to the believers, to those who were gathering, singing praise, down on their knees sometimes, giving, being generous, going on a journey with Jesus. He writes to these guys, says, I'm still fighting for your hearts. Why? Because there's a fight for our hearts every day. Every day. Because we have a default to smallness. I have a default to smallness, guys. I know it time outside of the presence of God, with my eyes taken off Jesus, I have a default to smallness. Fears start creeping in. I become aware of things I shouldn't become aware of. And my eyes start seeing things and desiring things that when my eyes are kept a bit about Jesus, my eyes don't desire those things. 
It's a reality. And Ishmael, first thing, Ishmael was born first and was the elder brother. And he says, actually, the older brother will always persecute the younger brother. I believe every believer, specifically when, you're born, when you encourage Jesus later on in life, we are born actually legalists. And we go on a journey to enter into grace. We go on a journey of understanding grace. Why? Because we have this default in us. And we've been taught so at a young age, and I've done it with my own kids, and I catch myself doing, if you go clean up the dog's doo-doo, you can have a biscuit. What am I saying? I'm conditioning him. I don't know why I said doo-doo. I've never said that in my life before. <laughs> I repent. Um, but but if, if you go pick that up, if you do something, you do something, you can have. If you work hard at school, you can have. If you work hard in your job, you can have. If you work hard to love me, husband or wife, you can have. We've got to kick out of that default. It says, actually, you have because of what Jesus has done. And I want to read one scripture from Genesis 5, and I think there's so much amazing truth in here. Abraham, the father of both these sons, left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his loss and died at a good old age. An old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of that place near Mamre. Four points about this. Number one. Even though Isaac was the younger son, he got the full inheritance. Ishmael got nothing. See, in that day, they understood inheritance was huge. Brothers killed brothers for something called inheritance. These days, with financial situations being what they are, very few receive a big inheritance that they would kill their spouse, their, their, spouse, their, their brother or sister for. But in those days, they considered it because it was the setup for life. They understood inheritance, and it was powerful. But here's the thing, in Jesus, and in the story, when we buy into a covenant of works and we take it on our own hands, the fullness of what we receive is given to us now. Yeah. Understand this, there is some inheritance in the law, and living by the law. There's some inheritance in not breaking the speed limit. You're probably not going to die speeding. Understand that? Some logic, because the law is logical and it's helpful for us. It shines light to safe spaces. But I'm not called to live my life of it. Why? Because there's no eternal inheritance. My inheritance is in one because of Jesus. And I receive an inheritance. Secondly, Ishmael was sent away. Says the father, actually Abraham, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away. If we hold on to a covenant of works where we are doing all the hard work and we are the white-knuckled Christians holding on, doing everything we can to please God, to make sure he still loves us when we wake up in the morning. Then we are like Ishmael, who actually receives the fullness of the gifts and we get sent away and we don't walk in the intimacy with the Father. I'm called into a, a God, the gospel calls me into relationship with the Father. And I'm called to work this line and to choose, will I, I, I walk this or will I walk this road? Will I work hard to make sure that he loves me or will I trust in what Jesus has done, the supernatural works of God? I don't want to be sent away. Number three, Ishmael, Ishmael didn't partake in his father's life, but only at his funeral. See, he gets sent away. And the next time we hear of him with his father is his dad's funeral. God says, actually, I didn't save you just for death. 
one day. I saved you for life now. I want to journey with you in life now. I want to reveal myself to you in life now. You have access to now. But when we are holding on and it's our works, the only life we find is our ability to do it. Please understand, it is like fire and water. You can't mix the two. It's like a lion and a lamb you try to put in the same room. You cannot mix the two. You cannot live a life where it's 50% law and 50% grace. There is no such thing. The one will overpower the other, and because we have a default to law, we'll default there. And lastly, it's our source of real life. See, our real life is not like Ishmael simply owing to the work of man. Our real life is owing to the work of God. In us fulfilling his promise to make him for himself a people, and to be put where he puts his spirit inside and to write the laws on our hearts. See, what we're not saying is the law falls apart. Now break every law you can. Say, no, that's not what Paul's writing here. He's saying, actually, I want the law written on my heart so that my heart that is captivated by a desire for the Father will have the law written on it, but actually I'm responding to him. I'm going to explain that a little bit more now. Why is this a picture? Why is this picture important for us? You know why? Because a life lived by covenant of works and a life lived by covenant of grace can look the same to others, and to ourselves. But the Bible says, and Paul writes strongly, he says, ultimately there's no space in the house of God for the sons of Ishmael. Where our salvation and our walk is determined by our works. So what's the distinction? Because he's told us that the first, the son of Ishmael, was born of the flesh, and the second was born of the spirit. What does it mean? I want to tell you that the difference actually isn't in works. It's not about what we do. See, I can get up and pray every hour, every day for an hour in the morning, religiously out of religious works. And there will be some benefit to me. But I won't find life in that because I'm doing it for myself, actually. Or I can get up every morning, every day, and spend an hour in the presence of the king, desiring intimacy with him. And it looks the same to those who will look in, but it's ultimately unbelievably different. It's in, it's in motives. The difference is not in works, it's in motives. It's not in the life, but in our means to sustaining life. How do I sustain my life? By holding on harder, by trying harder, or by throwing myself into the mercy and grace of Jesus even more. See, Jesus plus nothing. So you've got to throw away any motive, belief, or understanding. Anything. Anything that could impact and have impact. We're, we're on a journey saying, actually, if I'm doing this, God's going to love me a little bit more. Christians have lived like that for too long. Wars have been started because of that thinking. I'm telling you now. We, we even we defend our faith vociferously with anger over Facebook. Why? Because somehow it reflects on us. Please understand this. The gospel doesn't reflect on me. It reflects on Jesus. It rests on Jesus. And the power and the truth of the gospel doesn't rest on my ability to shout about it at people. It rests on the fullness and sufficiency and perfection of Jesus. It's done. Man quoting and man charming and, and man stating whatever man states. It cannot affect the power of the cross. It's done. And so I don't need to defend him. He's the king. I need to pursue him. 
I need to fight for intimacy with Him. And you know why? People say, well, I, I need the gospel. Don't, don't, don't give them just the gospel again. So we stop preaching the gospel in the church. You know what? I need the gospel every day. Every single day, I need to wake up and understand that actually nothing in my hands I bring. But simply to the cross, I cling. Every day, I need the gospel. Every day, I need to be reminded that it's only by grace. See, what happens is there's the temptation as you walk with the Lord for a long time. You, get, you find prayer a little bit easier. You find reading the word a little bit easier. You find sharing your faith with people sometimes a little bit easier. And all of a sudden, I can do this. What happens? It's called pride. It's called my ability to do this gospel thing. Wow, I'm good. No. Get back on your knees, son. Get back on your knees and hold on to the cross again and ask God to break in because the enemy's having a field day. Because it looks like the covenant of works. See, the most religious people can be the furthest from freedom. I want freedom like Paul wanted freedom for God's people. He wants freedom for God's children. See, the challenge of slavery has its own appeal. What is the only way to true freedom? It's when my greatest desire actually isn't freedom. My greatest desire is the giver of freedom. We live in a world where people are shouting, freedom. Freedom doesn't come when a man gives it to you. Freedom doesn't come when laws give it to you. Are they taking away my freedom? You cannot get to my freedom. My freedom is so deep down inside of my heart, you cannot access it. A law can't access it. A judge can't access it. A king can't access it. Only the king can access it. Because he gave it to me. I want to tell you the difference between Ishmael types and Isaac types is just a supernatural work of God. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. And there's this little song we used to sing, and I'm going to end with this. Little song we used to sing at Sunday school. It says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Some of you want to sing it with me. <laughs> little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. See, we didn't mind singing that in Sunday school. But then we were happy to graduate Sunday school where we sang more mature songs. Songs about our ability to journey in this. But that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. See, I want my kids to know. I love the bravery of this little man. He'll ask all his mates, do you know Jesus? Sometimes what comes out next is a little bit all over the place. But there's a desire to see people know Jesus. Love you, buddy. Jesus loves me. Not because I was good yesterday, not because I'm good now, not because I had my quiet time, not because I gave my tithe, not because I was generous, not because I gave my best shoes to love generation, what is renovation? (laughs) Not because I bought someone dinner after church. No, Jesus loves me and this I know because he told me so. And he keeps telling me so every day. I'd only wake up feeling it. Oh, God told me this morning he loves you. No, he, he tells that every morning. 
No, I feel good this morning. When that song came on in the radio, I felt like Jesus loves me. He loves me today. No, he loves you every day. That's called the gospel. You just need to believe it. At the center of this whole series is believing God. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. And we love saying this, they are weak, but he is strong. Why not change the words? I am weak. See, I can sing they. We love the word they. I am weak, but he is strong. Can we close our eyes for a second? Sorry, I stumbled through a few of the thoughts now. It's a little bit tired, but I trust you catch the fight here. There's a fight. I want to tell you tonight, you're not just at church, you're in a battle. God's fighting for your freedom. The challenge is sometimes in the middle of a battle, we think it's like all good. The artillery is firing over our heads. We're safe in our foxhole. And we forget that actually we're in the middle of a battle. Right now, sir or ma'am, you're in a battle. There is a voice calling you to do something that looks righteous, to do something that looks Jesus. It looks this, be really, really good. And God will really, really like you. But I want to tell you, it's not the gospel. The gospel says, Jesus is really, really good. And because he is really, really good, the Father really, really loves you. Would you believe that? Can you just say, I believe that God loves me. I believe it. We thank you, King.